Salt Lake City, Utah, where it's pouring rain tonight. This is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who want to watch the show in other parts of the country or world, call them and have them go to www.bornagainmormon.com. Click on the TV shows. It will give you instructions, and after a minute, this glorious picture comes up, and you're able to watch the show live. So we hope you're able to do that in the house tonight. Because of the rain, we have a small, but just the core audience. We have Jed, we have Celeste, Micah, and Reed, four faithful, soaking wet, but here nonetheless. Shout outs to Mark at MJ Auto. Good seeing you today, Mark. Keep going. Clara, our prayers are with you and your family. To Larry H. from Layton, thanks for saying hello. Gary S., thanks for your searching heart, Gary. To all of you who send emails and don't get a lengthy response from me, I apologize. Our thanks for writing. We read every single email that comes in. To Beverly G., Kate, and Joyce B., thank you much for your support. To Marlene over at Utah Lighthouse Ministry, thank you so much for your patience with us. Please say hello to Sandra. And, um, and to everybody else who watches the show regularly, this oh, excuse me, November 6th, Monday night in Ogden, November 5th, Monday night in Ogden, is our next traveling pastor in the pub. Uh, we'll be there from 6 to 8 at Denny's on Washington Boulevard, 6 to 8.30. And afterward, we're going to hold a baptism, and we'll let you know where that will be as time moves forward. Uh, we have some people up there who want to be baptized, and we want to open up to anybody who has uh, turned their life over to the Lord privately or publicly, doesn't matter, and want to take that next step and be baptized, well, we're going to have a location after Pastor in the Pub in Ogden where we will uh, do those baptisms, and it's a great experience. So if you want to do that, let us know or just show up uh, any way you want. You can be baptized uh, in a suit or, or whatever. Let's uh, go to a prayer because tonight we have kind of an unusual show, as you can tell by our setup, and a lot to cover. Dear Lord, we love you, we praise your name, we worship you, and we thank you for this airtime, for the people who dedicate themselves to making the show work. We thank you for our supporters uh, who give prayer and time and uh, all sorts of things to help our ministry move along. And Lord, we pray that you will reach out to the audience tonight. Help people to know that our hearts are for the LDS and uh, for for change within it to help them have a personal, regenerative relationship with Jesus Christ. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the course of the show, we have coined a few words, some of them on purpose and some of them by accident. We gave you twistianity. Uh, what a fine word, I believe. Twistianity. It's when you take Christian concepts and just twist them a little bit. We call that twistianity. And... Uh, through a pronunciation error of mine a couple weeks ago, I gave you pastored, as in a pastor who is in a bad mood. He is a pastored. And uh, we can laugh at ourselves with those mistakes. We've even given you, inadvertently, musty clam, which has become part of people's vernacular here in Utah, the musty clam. So I'm proud of that. Well, tonight, Aletheia Ministries, we want to introduce to you another new word. Please use it freely as often as you need to and uh, as it is applicable. In astrology, they use the word Gemini to describe what our new word describes. 
the Greeks used the word hypocrites. In the animal kingdom, they're known as chameleons. Children understand the concept by the cartoon and by the toy Transformers. Literature is filled with characteristics that embody this attitude. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dracula, even Spider-Man and Batman and Superman all have these characteristics within them. In our personal relationships, we might say that somebody is duplicitous. In business, we call them shifty. In politics, they call them flip-floppers, where once they're conservative and now they're liberal or vice versa. Even on the street, they have a name uh, for this. They call them con men or they call them uh, survivors, people who are able to adapt and mutate and morph according to their circumstances in order to survive. So when it comes to shifting, changing, adapting religious beliefs, the title would be obviously attached to Mormonism because Mormonism is the champion of changing religious beliefs and doctrines and practices. As a result, I don't think it's unfair that we refer to any person or group who flip-flops or waffles in their religious views as Mormonicious. You're being Mormonicious. That's our new word tonight. What? You guys no longer take the Bible literally? Well, that's quite Mormonicious of you. What? Do you mean to you embrace abortion, abortion now where you once uh, rejected it? Very Mormonicious. Mormonicious means to change from one doctrinal religious imperative to another without explanation. I think it's a good word because it sounds kind of sweet and innocent. Mormonicious. It almost sounds like a dessert or candy. And that's how these changes occur, with sweet tones and loving um, sing-song uh, phraseology from a pulpit with the two plastic things in front of them. And this doctrines that people have built their lives upon and truly believed were necessary suddenly change Mormoniciously. So I hope that that uh, will help you as we discuss are Mormons Christian today? what it meant in the past, and then how they have Mormoniciously changed today. All right? It all started with Joseph Smith saying in a number of different accounts and in a number of different times that he saw God the Father and Jesus Christ when he was a 14 or 15-year-old boy. He wrote in a final summary statement of the account, quote, I asked the personages that stood above me in the light, which of all the sex was right, for at this time it had never entered into my heart that they were all wrong, and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, and that those professors were all corrupt. That's in the Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith history. So that's five alls. All wrong, all wrong all wrong, all creeds, and abomination, all corrupt. Now remember, God told Joseph that all those who professed biblical Christianity were corrupt worldwide. Little old Bible-reading Christians in the Italian Alps, corrupt and abominable. Devoted Christian fathers and mothers the world over. Christian martyrs, every single faithful Christian pastor, reverend, congregate throughout the entire world were corrupt and an abomination before God. George Albert Smith in 1863, 20 years or so after Joseph uh, was assassinated, said, quote, When Joseph Smith was about 14 or 15 years old, he went humbly before the Lord and inquired of him, and the Lord answered his prayer and revealed to Joseph by the administration of angels the true condition of the religious world. When the holy angel appeared, Joseph inquired as to which of all these denominations was right and which he should join, and was told that they were all wrong. God himself, well actually George Albert Smith said it was an angel in this account, but, and that's another thing up for debate, but anyway, Joseph said that God himself told him that all the denominations the world over were wrong. No small group meeting in a home, studying the Bible, living for the Lord, praying, fasting, trusting in Him, were right in the sight of God. No humble Jesus-loving men or women. 
No Christian church on earth was acceptable. They were all an abomination. Listen to that rhetoric. All. Early church leaders, early LDS church leaders were relentless, relentless in attacking Christianity and it continued to grow with kind of a fervor all the way through the clerical era of the church when the, uh, like in the 1960s and 70s, it was still there. It started off more and more with Brigham Young and it continued on the Pratt brothers. These guys all had this vicious rhetoric toward Christianity. Go to utlm.org and do some research. They have long thrown down on what the world calls Christianity. Even as recently as June of 1998 in the Deseret News, page 7, LDS President Gordon B. Hinckley said that the Mormon church is, quote, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. Later, while on a visit to Switzerland, Gordon B. Hinckley, when asked if he believed in the traditional Christ, said, quote, no, I don't. The traditional Christ of whom they speak is not the Christ of whom I speak. For the Christ of whom I speak has been revealed in the dispensation of the fullness of times. He, together with his father, appeared to the boy Joseph Smith in the year 1820. And when Joseph left the grove that day, he knew more of the nature of God than all the learned ministers of the gospel of all the ages. Gordon B. Hinckley claims that Mormonism has, quote, a perfect knowledge of the nature of God, which came through the first vision of Joseph Smith, quote, end quote. And remember, he also said that, quote, when Joseph left the grove that day, he knew more about the nature of God than all the learned uh, ministers of the gospel of all the ages. This brings us to an interesting overlap of the past 10 or 15 years, however. Because there has been a growing and rolling movement underfoot, a public movement, mind you, led by the leaders of the LDS Church and their hirelings like Bob Millett of Brigham Young University who goes on shows and pretends to be a Christian. He personally may be, but he represents Mormonism as being Christian. That They demand unabashedly that Mormonism be considered Christian. Why? The Mormoniciousness on this topic? What has caused the change in focus, the public drive, the smarmy tactic, tactics, and the double speak from the pulpit? I'll give you my opinion in a second. In a recent October 2007 general conference just a week or so ago, church apostle Jeffrey Holland said, quote, As we invite one and all to examine closely the marvel of it, meaning the marvelous work and wonder of Mormonism, there is one thing that we would not like anyone to wonder about. That is whether or not we are Christians. He claims in a typical move to avoid complexity that there are basically just two doctrinal issues that create controversy or whether Mormonism can be considered Christian or not. The nature of God is one that he said and the principle of continued revelation is the other. Regarding the makeup of God, Holland goes on to state that the quote, listen to what he said, the Trinitarian notion is never set forth in scripture because it is not true. Okay. They want you to believe they're Christian, but he says, do not wonder if we're Christian or not. But then he says a line like that. He then proceeds to demean the doctrine of three in one God and those who embrace this belief, though he says he doesn't want to demean anyone. And he attempts to say that early Christians did not embrace the idea that there are three in one and wonders if they would be considered Christian today by the people who say Mormons aren't Christian. He then concludes with a strong testimony of Jesus, which sounds very Christian when you read it. Okay, And while I will argue tooth and nail with apostle who claims, who claims, tacitly claims, he is a personal first-hand witness of the Lord Jesus Christ with his own eyes. He doesn't say it publicly. I haven't heard it, but they're supposed to be if they're special witnesses. This man claims that they are three separate and distinct and that God the Father has a body of flesh and bone. And I will, as a Christian, and any Christian who's read through the Bible can show the Bible Throughout teaches one God. Throughout teaches three and one. Throughout teaches that if you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. Throughout that the Father and the Son will dwell in believers. 
by virtue of the Holy Spirit. The, the Trinitarian idea is throughout. I never read a creed. I never read the Nicene Creed, the, Apost uh, the Apostles' Creed. None of those when I came to know what God's uh, corporal nature was and what his spirit nature was. It came by reading the Bible. And this man who calls himself an apostle who has seen Jesus Christ is saying that the Trinitarian idea of Christianity, a fundamental of Christians worldwide, is not true. I'm glad I'm standing tonight. This is just adding fervor to my uh, talk. Okay. Unfortunately, he added an addendum to his Christian testimony. He said at the end of it, he said, in addition, my additional testimony regarding this resplendent doctrine is that in preparation for his millennial latter-day reign, Jesus has come more than once in embodied majestic glory. In the spring of 1820, a 14-year-old boy confused by the many of these very doctrines that still confuse much of Christendom went to a grove of trees to pray. In answer to that earnest prayer offered at such a tender age, the Father and the Son appeared as embodied glorified beings to the boy prophet Joseph Smith. That day marked the beginning of the return of the true New Testament gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the restoration of the prophetic truths offered from Abraham down to the present day. We could spend months dissecting every single thing that Apostle Jeffrey R. Holland said about Jesus line by line and categorically disseminate them. We've done it in shows of the past if you just go through and read them. But the bigger question is, why are they claiming Christians? Why are the LDS brethren in this day and age strongly and overtly laying claim to being Christian? Or as religious editor Peggy Stack Fletcher wrote in the Salt Lake Tribune in her coverage of conference, quote, not only is Mormonism a Christian faith, it is the truest form of Christianity, said speaker after speaker on the first day of the 177th semi-annual LDS General Conference. They are not only claiming to be Christian, they are boldly and strongly and without any hesitation saying they are the only true and they are the truest form of Christianity on the earth. Why? Why now? Has Mormonism always been Christian and the world of Christian scholars and researchers and apologists have just missed it? We just didn't get what you were saying the whole time? Are they Christian now because they are emphasizing him more and more and now they see the importance of Jesus? Why is this happening? Two words. Mitt Romney. There you go. We are Christian. It says down here in Newsweek, this, uh, I got this in the supermarket the other day, A Mormon's Journey, The Making of Mitt Romney. And every evangelical the world over who knows anything about biblical doctrines knows that when Mitt Romney stands up and says he's Christian, that it isn't true. And so what they have done is they've turned open this political uh, spin machine to get us to more and more embrace the idea that they are Christian. I want to read from Claudia's email to me. It is really well done. Claudia is, uh, has no affiliation with a religion, but she says she started to wonder what was going on when the LDS Church took the title of their church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and changed it to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What was going on with this? Why did they do this about 10, 15 years ago? And then she says, then I noted the nationally covered Utah trial against polygamous Warren Jeffs. Uh-oh, I said. They could have had such a victim years and years ago, but now they had a message for the voters. Next, I noted the ad for the book Presidents and Prophets. Uh-oh, I said, there's another message for voters to read and listen to. Then I came to the online, quote, ask questions about the LDS church, and the church will answer them for you. Uh-oh, I said, that was for the media reporters. Romney steered voters on the stump to the online site. He told them, go to this, get your answers, and they get spin when they go there. Then came the KSL report that, quote, apostles were going to be fanning out to visit the editorial boards around the country. Uh-oh, I said, the campaigning needs to be countered. 
I fear a Romney presidency despite their prophecy that they can save our constitution. Finally, she writes, the logical conclusion was that the upcoming conference was going to be one doozy of a Jesus Christ theme, so I listened. I have listened to many over the years. Yep, they called it a historic conference. They exhorted members to speak up to everyone about the truth of the church being Christian. If it had been Christian all along, there would not have been this notable, noticeable sudden difference. I thought the idea was to, quote, not be of this world, but here they are using Jesus for political power. The LDS church is campaigning darn hard for Romney. I received that email and I thought she touched on some important things. As I said, the evangelicals who know the Bible, who have heard it taught in context and without reference to um, Joseph Smith's interpretations, are savvy when it comes to what is Christian and what is not. They earn the right to set the parameters of what is Christian and what is not. And if they have any backbone, they stand up and say, this stuff that they are claiming is not Christian. Now, I personally don't care to get this out of the way if Mitt Romney uh, in and of himself becomes president, really. Um, I think that he's a politician and I have little respect for any politician. So that's just me personally, whatever. And uh, I will vote, but I don't think it's in my hands. I think it's in God's. But there is a multinational, multi-billion dollar, politically oriented from its onset religious group, Mormons, that claims to be the only true Christianity on earth that wants desperately to have one of their own in office. It will give them legitimacy they have never had. It will give them more power, more political power than they already possess. It'll enable them to achieve their worldwide goals like no other. And they, like candidate Romney, will say anything to get the office. They'll say anything. Romney won the governorship of Massachusetts being pro-choice and pro-gay rights. This is a fact. Okay? Check the facts. This is why they call him a flip-flopper. All right? And then suddenly he comes to some miraculous conservative rebirth when he runs for the presidency and now stands as a crusader for the unborn and the heterosexual marriage. All he is doing actually is what he has watched his religion do when things get tough along the road and they want to be popular. They change their, vo their voice. They flip-flop. Mitt is Mormonicious. Bottom line. And he learned it from the church he believes in even to the point of calling Jesus his, quote, personal savior while out on tour, something that is rarely, if ever, heard in the chapels of Mormondom today. On March 2nd, 1982, McConkie said that a personal relationship with Jesus was, quote, improper and perilous, okay? McConkie, 82, Apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, special witness, stands in the Marriott Center before thousands of LDS people and tells them that a personal relationship with Jesus is improper and perilous. And we have another apostle today standing up in general conference and telling you, do not wonder, we are Christian. You look at the facts. Now maybe... Holland, maybe Romney is telling the truth. But if they aren't, they are using Jesus as a political tool. So what is it? Is Mormonism Christian? Is it as simple as Holland says, a simple disagreement between Trinitarian thoughts and revealed revelation today? I'm going to do a whiteboard teaching right now. I'm going to attempt to do this, and uh, I'm going to go through, and I want to examine what I believe. Now, I understand a lot of Christians are going to get upset with some of, my th some of the things I'm going to say here. But I want to be as liberal as I can in when we look at all religions that claim to be Christian and say, okay, what can we allow within a group that claims to be Christian, and what can we not allow? And you may have a disagreement. You can call and share that, but let's go to these now, all right? So what this says here, let's see how that's, is they are Christian. The LDS are absolutely Christian in these areas, okay? 
Family values. They have outstanding family values. Whether they play out correctly in the LDS life, I'm not sure. They spend an awful lot of time in meetings away from their family and do a lot of things like that. But the values are there. So we can agree, as far as a religion goes, they're Christian in their family values. Now, they're prescribed ethics. They say, be honest, be fair, be faithful, um, don't get angry, and all those Christian ethics. So they, they say to do that. How those play out, again, are not the thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about what their doctrines propose. And their doctrines propose a Christian ethic. All right? Missions. They go with Matthew uh, 28, and they go out into all the world, and they share their message better than most. Better than almost all. Jehovah's Witnesses may uh, be pretty good on them. But bottom line, they, they do fulfill a good missional Christian statement. All right? And they go out two by two, which is kind of cool too. All right? And then holiness, personal holiness. Now, they strive for personal holiness. They want that. So you're going to have to say, yeah, they're Christian in that area. No, no, no disagreement. Here's the problem. You have these threads, these, this warp threads that are Christian. And then you're going to get weft threads that are not. And you have a fabric that is false. All right. What happens is people selectively listen to or watch the warp threads and say, wow, you know, hey, we are Christian. We are Christian. What about those things? Well, you know, they're just something they really don't. But these things, these threads are really important, really important to what makes Mormonism Mormonism. Okay. Finally, we have atonement. And this is one of the most important main threads that runs through Mormonism that is congruent. Same Jesus, no. But they do believe that Jesus Christ atoned for sin. Where he did it, another topic. But they do believe he came and suffered for the sins of this world. And so that main thread is really difficult for Mormons to differentiate between, am I a Christian or not? We believe in Jesus. We sing songs about him, the atonement, all this. And it's a very confusing issue for them because they don't understand the nuance, which we're going to talk about in a second. All right, so we can agree, and there may be more or less, but we can agree, I think, that they are Christian in those areas. Now let's go to, they're different, but I will say, let's let them have these differences in their culture. All right? Now, the reason I say that is because there are Christian cultures out there that are strange too. And so we have to admit that culture is kind of a combination of, a, uh, of your theology, your doctrine, your practice, your people, your genetics. All those things start to make up culture, the environment you live in, things like that. So culture, we're going to have to let them have, all right? And then we go to their legalisms. Now, there are, there are Baptist churches that make Mormons look like liberals. So as far as legalisms, we can't beat them up on that. I mean, they expect dress standards. Well, that's kind of nice in today's age. And they don't want you to drink alcohol on these things. Well, there's a lot of churches and pastors who stand up strongly for those. So we can't disregard them for their legalistic approach. I do when it comes to the grace of God, but we'll talk about that later. Authoritarian top-down government. We see that all the time. We see it in different churches. There are, you know, we have a pope. People will argue are Catholics, Christians. We have churches, Billy Graham's thing. He's top down. We have a lot of these. Now, yes, he calls himself a prophet, but we have an authoritarian structure. Just because it's there doesn't mean they're not Christian. All right. Now, we can poke fun of these things and kind of throw it in a big package about why they don't measure up to being Christian and say, look at this. This just shows. But bottom, if you just take them separately, they're different but I don't think it's, it, it cancels the deal. Living prophets. Many people are going to say, oh, you're over it with that. Hebrews 1.1 says, you know, God spoke with prophets in times past. Today, he speaks to us through his son. But there are churches that believe they have a prophet who guides them. They're not well known. They're very few and far between. But there's some people who believe that their leader is a prophet. We do believe in the gift of prophecy, that men and women can have prophecy. And so that's not a deal breaker. All right? So if we can keep these facts going, or what I believe are facts, it's going to help us in the dialogue when they throw out that we're Christians, because we can get to the real core issues and slam them down quickly. And then we come to their meetings, which are dead. Well, you can go to a lot of Christian churches, and the meetings are dead, too. Uh, you can walk into some... Uh, yeah, anyway, so we can't poke fun of the dead meetings. All right. So then we go to some really stretched out, strange... LDS things that I'm going to include on the board that says, okay, we'll let you have it. But man, I would never, I would never embrace these things because I don't think these things are going to change a person's relationship with Jesus. Now, I know this is going to really get under the skin of some apologetic Christians, but just let me have my, uh, my day here before the whiteboard. Three degrees of glory. 
All right, Jesus said in my, father are many, in, in my Father's house are many mansions. Maybe we can interpret it that way. I know their interpretation is God does not dwell in the lower ones. Jesus doesn't dwell in the lowest and all that stuff. But if they want to die, believing in the three degrees of, of glory, I'm not going to fight with them on it. Okay, that's not a deal breaker. You want to believe in that? Go ahead. You're going to die and you're going to see it's false. Whatever. But does it make them not Christian? I don't know. You know, you can talk to a lot of people about what they think heaven will be like, and we can get a lot of different answers from people who are really good believers. What does the Bible say? Well, it does talk about some different, you know, uh, places and some different things. I was caught up in the third heaven. We have some of this stuff. So, but I, I don't agree with it in the way they've interpreted it, but I do think that, well, let's let them have it. Book of Mormon. Uh-oh. Now we're in trouble. Book of Mormon. How could you put that under? Listen, it's a copy it's a complete plagiarism. And we've gone through that five weeks we spent on showing you how. If they want to embrace that as being something that leads them to God and is Christian, I am not going to dissuade because a lot of it was taken from the Bible. And there are very, very few things that say anything contrary, anything at all contrary to the Bible. There's a few situations that you could say, man, that's kind of weird, cutting off this guy's head, you know, that. But we see that in the Old Testament too. So as far as Christianity it teaches Christian principles because it's a plagiaristic piece of material. So let's give them that one, all right? Gethsemane. They believe that Jesus atoned for the sins of the world and Gethsemane. I believe that Jesus suffered there. I believe that Jesus atoned for the sins of the world on the cross. And I'm going to show you where the cross fits in on the next board in a second as to why they're not Christian. But as far as him suffering Gethsemane, again, they're going to have to talk with God. And then they go to a pre-existence. And I just want to be as far open as I can to let them touch this stuff so that we can get to the real core issues. Maybe they were pre-existent in God's mind. Maybe there's something that we could say that there's some play in that. I don't know. I don't believe in a pre-existence. I believe that God breathed into Adam and the spirit came forth. And I'm a biblical, I stand biblically and I don't think it is biblical at all. I think it's from the mind of Joseph Smith, but it's a really tough one for a lot of Mormons to get over and it, they don't get over it for a long period of time. So I just don't think it's something to debate with them right off the bat. You'll figure out where you came from. Just get to know the Lord now that you're here. And then once they get to know him, this starts to faint. But let's not make it part of the argument. And finally, eternal marriage. Okay, so we have eternal marriage. Now, it's in complete opposition to what Jesus said. And that's why I put it last on the far corner over there because it's like taking it out there and it's really a stretch and that's it's under the strange category and they believe that they can be sealed and they're together forever. Uh, I don't believe it, but they do. And so is it a deal breaker? If they believed in all the other things Christian, would their ideas of eternal marriage be okay? Or at least we don't even want to hear about it, but go ahead and think it. I think yes. So, not Christian. All right? We have their idea on the ontology. That's a big word for makeup of God. Not Christian is their views on matter. Not Christian is their views on the fall. Not Christian is their views on salvation. And not Christian are their temple rights. Okay? Let me address those uh, as, we, as we go through for a second. They teach that Joseph Smith saw God who had a body of flesh and bone. Joseph Smith said God had a body and he didn't even say it in his first few recitations of his first vision. They're always claiming you got to uh, trust the first vision. The first vision is what the whole church is based on. Go and read the first visions. Go to utlm.org. Go to any reliable website and look and you'll see all the different versions of the first vision. It's not reliable. But in the end, he, he reconstructed it and he came out and he said God had a body of flesh and bones. Jesus said, Joseph said abide. Jesus said, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus also said after he resurrected to his disciples, Behold my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Jesus said God is a spirit. He came back in his resurrected body and he said a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. What more do you need? You're going to believe Joseph? Or are you going to believe Jesus? They say they're Christian, but we have a problem right then and there. 
The scripture says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Exodus 32, 20 says, no man can see me and live. Joseph Smith said he saw him. 1 John 4, 12 says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. Again, how can they say they're Christian when they don't believe the core fundamental things? John 1.8 says, No man has seen God at any time, only the begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. Colossians says, Jesus is in the image of the invisible God. 1 Timothy 1.17 calls God the Father eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, Who hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see. And Joseph says, I saw him, and that he had a body of flesh and bone. They want us to believe that they're Christian, but they aren't when it comes to their idea of God. On matter, Mormonism believes a couple things about matter. They say matter cannot be created or destroyed. Okay, That comes directly from Joseph Smith. God himself, our God, any God, the far back gods, the first God, whatever, cannot create matter, Joseph taught. They cannot be Christian. We believe that God created all things. Mormons say no. He did not create matter. They also say that matter cannot be created or destroyed. They also say that matter is eternal. They also say that matter, anything that is real is made of matter, and anything that is not real is not, is not matter. What they're saying is there's no immaterial matter. Meaning spirit is matter, is what they say. It's a heavy concept. But their topic and doctrines of matter are very important because they lead back to the way they view God, who was a man at one time, has a body of flesh and bones, and he had a father who had a father and a father. Why? Because matter has always existed and it just continues to move forward in different forms. That takes us to the fall. They believe the fall was a good thing. It was a fall upward. They believe that Adam had to transgress purposefully in order to bring about God's plan, that God presented them with this uh, trickery plan. Don't do this. Come on, you can do it. Don't do this. Please do it. Hurry up so we can get all these spirit children down here. It is it's incomprehensible. They think God works that way. The fall was a result of disobedience. The fall took the world and brought it into sin. Suffering children in India, people starving to death, children being raped, this is all the result of the fall that they say is good. It's not good. We could have lived in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve could have populated and we could have lived in the presence of God with fellowship and as his created beings and learning from him and growing in him. Just like what we long to have when we become regenerated Christians. But no, they have a different plan. Why? Because it all tapers back to these elements of, the, of matter and God. Okay? So... So Holland stands up and says, we are Christians, don't wonder about it whatsoever. And there's just a couple things that, they, that are going to be uh, uh, problematic. It's more than a couple things, my brother. All right. And then we go to salvation. Because the fall was a good thing, guess what? You're not born in sin. You're born clean and pure. Yes, you're going to make some mistakes. Oops, I stole that cookie. Well, now you need to repent, and Jesus makes it possible for you to repent. You can go, because he did suffer. Remember, they believe in atonement. He did suffer, and now you can go and repent, and you can our scarf everything, recognize, feel sorrow, confess, ask, forsake, restitute. And if you do all those things, Jesus' blood covers you, and you go on, and you earn your immortality and eternal life. Christians, what do we say? You know what we say. It is by grace that we are saved. Not after all that we can do. Period. We're saved by the grace of God. We can do nothing to save ourselves. Nothing. Jesus did it for us. Past, present, and future. You come to him by faith. That's not what they're teaching. They stand up before millions of people and say, we are Christian. Okay. Lord be with me. Then they go on. And they add, because your salvation is up to you, you got to do temple rites. And they say, we believe in that we're saved by grace. We believe that Jesus is all we need. Jesus makes it possible. All those things. And they're all couched. They're all veiled in a kind of a secret language that they do not give you the full picture. 
Because you cannot live with God if you haven't gone and accepted everything that they do in the temple. And unless you do that, you're going to live in a lesser kingdom where God does not dwell. That is not Christianity, my friends, at all. The veil of the temple was rent top to bottom by God. He said, it's over. It's finished. There are no more of going in and trying to do appease me through shed blood of animals or through rites and rituals. It's through Jesus. The temple is not Christian. Now, I have a space over here. I don't know if it's on the camera, but I want to add a few other things and then we're going to go to the phones quickly. And now it is how they are, and this is strong, I'm sorry, antichrist. There's a difference between, between all these categories, and now we get to the point where they are antichrist, okay? And so we can go and we can talk about the cross. We did a show last year in 2006, and it talked about the references in the Bible to the cross. They are plentiful. The cross is not an icon that Catholics developed for us to worship and adore. The cross was in the text of the Bible. It's throughout the text. It, the, him that is hanged on a tree is, is accursed. All these references to the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. It is the cross by which we are saved. It's an offense to the Mormons. They can't even understand it. They've made it so verboten to them. They've made it this thing that is ugly. It is beautiful because it is what saves us and reconciles us to the Father. So how can they even say they are Christian? They don't even accept the thing that the Bible teaches over and over. Do a word search on cross and see how often it refers to the cross of Christ. And then ask yourself, why doesn't my church like the cross? When all the references from the apostles who knew him talked about the cross. All right? I know that they, had, they stood in an auditorium with thousands of people dressed nicely and they had the best of furniture and the nicest of suits and we're at a, a, a television station tv 20 and you got one guy up here who, who doesn't look so great and he's talking on a whiteboard and drawing but let me tell you something this is the truth and you're not getting it from the top why they want that money they want that power and they will do anything and say anything to get it finally let's keep let's go on and i'll end doctrine covenants 132 Read it. Go and open your Doctrine and Covenants and read that through. Talk about how it says that you can become God, okay? Talk about how you have to have plural wives. This is Antichrist. That's all it is. Read it. Just read that section. What else? Sorry, virgin birth. Now they will say today, Oh, you know, we believe in the virgin birth. In fact, in conference, I believe it was Holland who says, I embrace the virgin birth. Let me tell you something. I have plenty of quotes all the way just recently to Ezra Taft Benson, who says, the Holy Ghost did not overshadow Mary. It was not the Holy Ghost by which Mary conceived. It was the Father. Is the Father a spirit? No. In Mormonism, the Father has a body of flesh and bones. They do not believe in the virgin birth. They do not. That is anti-Christ, no matter what they say. I know I'm impassioned. I know you see me like this and you're thinking, oh, what a hate, hateful, angry man. I love you to death. I almost cry when I get emails from you guys saying you've come to know the Lord and how you have now you understand who he is and why people would say you're not a Christian. When they become Christians, their life changes. They embrace the cross. They love the virgin birth. They reverence God. They don't try to become him. Finally, not finally, Melchizedek Priesthood. And you're going to like my writing. I'm getting lazy. Melchizedek Priesthood. Forget it. Hebrews tells us we have one high priest, one only, and he goes to the Father, just like the old high priest did, and he is the one who can enter into that realm, offering his blood once and for all for us, and it's done. They are not priests. There is no such thing as a Melchizedek priesthood. And they've assigned themselves this title and they stand up there calling themselves apostles, ordaining themselves as apostles and prophets, and there is no Melchizedek priesthood ever anymore. Jesus is our high priest. You are not a high priest. Jesus is. And if you read Hebrews, you'll understand it. And finally, before we go to the phones, this is where they fail the biggest. All those other theological and doctrinal areas, this is where they fail the most. Because 
if you could read our emails, when a person does not accept even the smallest of their doctrines, they're forbidden from going into the temple. And that means they don't get to live with God. And they have been taught that this is the only way. And they think a little bit differently and they spend their lives into sheer misery, guilt, wondering what they're going to do. Somebody can't stop smoking. They're banished. They have a heart of gold and they're banished. Somebody doesn't uh, stop drinking coffee. Somebody has some moral issues. Banished, banished, banished. You have to reach their level. You have to please these men in order for you to really get your salvation assured. And that is anti-love. Did you know in the Utah State Prisons that the prisoners cannot have the LDS sacrament for two years until after they've gotten out because they're not worthy? Do you know that they're sitting there in those prisons as Latter-day Saints just wondering why, where is their communion? When the Christian churches are going in there and they're saying, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Here, commune with the Lord. What is wrong with this picture? This is where they're failing. The biggest. And it's all a result of all this other stuff. We have 13 minutes. Let's go to Doral, first time caller. Doral, you're on Heart of the Matter. Doral? Doral? Doral, are you there? Are you there? Uh, let's try line two. We're going to Diane. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. You're on the air, Diane. Oh, okay. This is Diane. Hi. Are you there? Hello? Diane, you're on the air. Hi. Sean, this is Diane. Hi. I'm on line two. Yes, you are. Hi, Sean. Hi. I just, w I was going to make a comment. Okay. Turn off this TV better. I was just going to make a comment, and you answered all the questions. I'm a born-again Christian, and everything that you had to talk about today pretty much is everything I've been doing for a long time, because my whole family, married family, are all LDS, Temple Mormons, and I have tried for 20 years to get them to understand, and it's like beating your head against a rock. Yeah. So... Um, I just don't understand why they can't see. They keep saying they're Christians, and there's no way they can be a Christian. The Bible's pretty black and white as far as I can tell. And well, the Bible is, you know, Jesus was there, uh, God in the flesh, loving, serving, healing, doing miracles, and many of them didn't see. So seeing and hearing is, uh, is the gift and prerogative of God. And people, they just get dead set in their beliefs and they don't want to step outside because it's very scary and painful for a number of different reasons. And it's just, you know, and I do have a heart for them because they are really, really trained from the, from the crib on how to believe and think. And so... Um, well, I've lived here my whole life, so I do know. And I have a sister-in-law and I sent her tons of material from Sandra Tanner in different places and... You know, she made a comment that has just haunted me forever, and she said, well, if my religion is not true, then I don't care if I go to hell. Uh, and I just cringe when I hear stuff like that. I do, too. I had someone very close to me say, even if the church isn't true, it's the best thing on the earth for them to belong to. He didn't care. Uh, it's just terrifying. It is. It is. And they don't understand, I guess, they don't understand the holiness of God. No, yeah. they don't. Well, great call, Diane. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, God bless. We're going to Dorel, first-time caller on line one. Dorel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, yeah. Well, I just need to ask you one question here. Uh, since uh, your God picks out the uh, ones that are going to be saved, what on earth difference does it make what um, the religion believes or what the religion teaches? What do you mean? Well, explain that better for me and the audience, Dorel. Well, since since your God picks out the ones that are going to be saved, okay, I'm not Calvinistic. That make what the religion believes. Okay, I'm not Calvinistic, Dorel, and I, I don't want to go down the Calvinistic uh, discussion because it just turns into a bunch of dead ends. God is wooing everybody. Everybody has a chance, so it matters greatly what a person believes. What does John 6:44 say? I don't know. I'm, what does it say? Tell me. It says that uh, no man cometh unto Jesus except God draw him. Okay. 
So are you a Calvinist? No, I'm not a Calvinist. Okay, so what are you quoting this for as if you were a Calvinist? Are you trying to trip me up? Out of the up? King James Bible. Oh, right. I understand. So what's your point? Have any, does it not have any relevance at all? Sure, it has relevance. And when you are drawn, you'll understand that it was God who did it. But we don't know who God is drawing. We share and we teach and we preach the truth, and so it matters greatly what people believe. In, it, in the broadest sense, John 6.44 says that, that no man can do anything unless God prompts him to do it. Yeah. And well, so therefore, no man can be saved unless God picks him out to be saved. Okay, when, when you make that final statement, I think you're right. However, you're not taking John 6.44 in context of the entire Bible. You're taking one verse out of thousands, and it's just not fair. Because what you're doing is you're setting up a, an argument that's not winnable. And that's what you're well, trying to do. And unfortunately, we... Jesus told us to go out and share the gospel. He told us to be lights unto the world. He gave us so many declarations of how we're supposed to be as Christians yeah, so others good. might believe, John. So you, you're, it's just a really a bad argument. If we go to the, to the gospels, then all they say is in order to get to heaven, you've got to be good. Well, again, maybe you haven't read the Gospels with the eye and heart you need to. because I think I'm just say, reading what it says. I think they say a lot more than that. I'm just reading what it says. I read what it says too, John, and I read a lot more than that. Well, I'm just reading what they say. Okay, the gospel, I do the same thing. In order to get I, to heaven, you've got to be good. Okay, I understand that, all right? But why don't you read through, uh, just right now, for instance, at Lord's Word, we're going through a uh, Sermon on the Mount. Why don't you read that and just tell me this is what it means to go to heaven and just take it, take it that way and let's have a discussion. But you're so far off the mark because probably of your training that you're not seeing and hearing the way he wants you to see here's, and hear it. Here's what I think. I think that um, a person would be uh, more likely to have Jesus in his heart and would be better able to confess Jesus as his Savior and have a personal relationship with Jesus if he lived a Jesus life than if he gave lip service to Jesus. Okay, well, who's giving lip service? You are. Really? Wow, that's and interesting. How do you know this about me? Hey, John, how do you know this about me, that I'm just giving lip service? Well, because you're saying that you've got to confess Jesus. You do. You've got to confess him as your Savior. You do. You've got to, to take some overt action in order to draw him into your heart. No, I think God is going to decide. I meet plenty of people who say that they have confessed Jesus and yet it has done nothing for them. I think God has to draw them. But as we I, have to look at it contextually, what John. What did you just say? We have to look at it contextually, the whole Bible, and take every aspect and try to make some logical, reasonable sense of it instead of a single pinnacle doctrinal point that we're going to base all, color all of our other opinions on those. But again, I would still say that I would think that a person who is living a Jesus life... Who's worthy of Jesus' life, John? Are you worthy of Jesus' life? I say that. I said a person who is living a Jesus life. Who lives a Jesus life, John? A Jesus life is a person who does what Jesus says. Who does that, John? A person is living a Jesus life who does what Jesus says. And who does that, John? Anybody that... You're not doing that, John. How do you know? You just judged me for one thing. How do you know that I'm not doing that? You just judged me. Well, let's say it a different way. Most Mormons are doing that. Most Mormons Most are doing Mormons that, John. Are living John, we're going to end the call because you're they blind. They are in a better John, you're blind. in order to if you have think, Jesus John, in their heart than somebody who just gives lip service to Jesus. I don't understand where this lip service is coming from. It's out of, it came out of my I, it came out of my head. Well, put it back in there because it's not a good term. I mean, a lot of Christians who do far more in in terms of giving anonymously and giving their lives to Jesus than right, any Mormon. They got saved. Mormons. God picked them out to be saved. Mormons serve your church. They don't serve God. They serve the church. There's a huge That's difference. That's your opinion. No, it's not my... Well, all these are your opinions. My Laurel. opinion is that most Mormons live a Jesus life. Well, I'm glad, you, uh, I'm glad you've decided that. Did, That's not what gets them to heaven, my friend. To listen to... Uh, John, uh, I mean, Dorrell. The new counselor in the first presidency is... Uh, Dorrell. Uh, Dorrell, uh, you got to let me talk. That is not what gets the Mormons to heaven. And that's where you're making your mistake. 
Did, did you take the time to listen to uh, Iring's? I, I took uh, the time to read it. Uh, press conference between conference sessions on Saturday. <laughs> no, I didn't. He see went the back conference. to some. Uh, he was assigned to go back to some uh, uh, ministers or Christian. Dorrell, if this call is getting boring, Dorrell, the call is getting boring. That may be okay. getting boring. It's but getting, what he said was, boring. I got to move on. You're up. It's good. I know you're trying to fight for your beliefs, but they're categorically. Yeah, he said this. He says all those preachers after he got done. They're categorically wrong, Dorrell. All those preachers came up to him. And I don't care what they about did. All the decent Mormons they'd seen all the way across. Wonderful. Decency does not get you to living the Jesus life. They are not giving lip service to Jesus. I don't know. You and your other guy else do. Hey, listen, Dorrell. Uh, I don't know where lip service comes from. Far more uh, Christians have given their entire lives than Mormons will right, ever. after they got saved. And okay, they only got saved after by... After they got saved. You're right on that point. We're going to end on a good point. You're right on that. And let's move forward. And uh, you, the Mormonism I just showed, they're not Christian. And... Uh, Thanks for the call. Glad to talk to you anytime on any, for any length of time on any subject. So, Dorrell, you're a very proud man. That's you bet I am. Excellent. Thank you, Dorrell. Bye bye. And so we get finally. It took a while, but we get the ultimate uh, sense of Dorrell's heart. You bet I am a proud man of his rights, of his righteousness. Mormons are the best there is, and unfortunately. That's just not what the Bible teaches as pleasing God. Yes, when you've been saved, we are going to live the righteous life. There's no lip service. But man, your rights and your, your righteousness is not going to do it for you. And Dorrell was a perfect example, the epitome of example when it comes to the pride as to why. All right, let's go to uh, Marvin from Nampa, Idaho. Marvin, you're on Heart of the Matter. This is Joel. Joel, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Um, I'm not sure, I guess, exactly where to start. I've had a few questions and everything. I've watched a few times. Um, I guess there's a few little comments like uh, DNC 132. Um, I was actually a missionary and served out in the South, uh, you know, the Bible Belt for a couple of years. Uh -huh. um, I've got the one comment, you know, that we think we can become God, you know, after this life or whatever, but... There's a lot of things that are taken out of context or aren't like explained fully, and it's not that Mormons or Latter Day Saints believe they can, you know, become God. It's more be like Him. You know, it says in the Bible that we're all sons and daughters of God, and so just as a baby chicken, a chick, was it become not an alligator? You know, it's a uh, become like its parents. The problem, Joel, and I understand that your, your heart has given us a, a, a nice version from the Bible, and I believe that you believe that, but huh? the, the, the statements from your leaders uh, going back to Joseph and moving forward uh, contradict that. They don't say it's to become like the God. It is to become a God, and that is the per prevailing attitude of most Latter-day Saints uh, that, that really know the doctrines. So while I appreciate your perspective of it, and I hope that it slowly becomes more and more like that, I'm afraid that all the quotes, go to utlm.org and read about it, you'll find that the quotes support that their purpose and ambition is to become a God. Joel, we're out of time. We only have 45 seconds left. All right. Well, I guess... Call back, man. Call back? Call back another time. All right. Well, I've read a lot of the doctrine and everything that says become like God, just yeah, you have to read a little bit more, my friend. I think you'll see it. Take I've read care. plenty, but anyway, uh, thanks for putting me on. All right, bye-bye. Uh, we have 20 seconds left. Listen, uh, Pastor in the Pub tonight, Denny's Fifth South. I know it's raining cats and dogs, uh, so be careful if you come down. And uh, next week we're going to continue on progressing through church history, and I believe next week we are going to talk about blacks and the priesthood. So uh, turn in here on Heart of the Matter on KTMW TV 20.